But anyway, I'm going to read um, Ezekiel 24. It's on page 853 in the Chapel Bibles, if you've, um, if you've got there. And uh, uh, yeah, Ezekiel 24 from verse 1. In the ninth year, in the tenth month, on the tenth day, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, record this date, this very date, because the king of Babylon has laid siege to Jerusalem this very day. Tell this rebellious house a parable and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Put on the cooking pot, put it on and pour water into it. Put into it the pieces of meat, all the choice pieces, the leg and the shoulder. Fill it with the best of these bones. Take the pick of the flock, pile wood beneath it for the bones, bring it to the boil and cook the bones in it. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to the city of bloodshed. To the pot now encrusted, whose deposit will not go away. Empty it piece by piece, without casting lots for them. For the blood she shed is in her midst. She poured it out on the bare rock. She did not pour it on the ground, where the dust would cover it. To stir up wrath and take revenge, I put her blood on the bare rock, so that it would not be covered. Therefore this is what the Sovereign Lord says. Woe to the city of bloodshed. I too will pile the wood high. So heap on the wood and kindle the fire. Cook the meat well, mixing in the spices and let the bones be charred. Then set the empty pot on the coals till it becomes hot and its copper glows. So its impurities may be melted and its deposit burned away. It has frustrated all efforts. Its heavy deposit has not been removed, not even by fire. Now your impurity is lewdness. Because I tried to cleanse you, but you would not be cleansed from your impurity, you will not be clean again until my wrath against you has subsided. I, the Lord, have spoken. The time has come for me to act. I will not hold back. I will not have pity, nor will I relent. You'll be judged according to your conduct and your actions, declares the Sovereign Lord. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man. With one blow, I am about to take away from you the delight of your eyes. Yet do not lament or weep or shed any tears. Groan quietly. Do not mourn for the dead. Keep your turban fastened and your sandals on your feet. Do not cover the lower part of your face or eat the customary food of mourners. So I spoke to the people in the morning and in the evening my wife died. The next morning I did as I had been commanded. Then the people asked me, won't you tell us what these things have to do with us? So I said to them, the word of the Lord came to me. Say to the house of Israel, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I am about to desecrate my sanctuary, the stronghold in which you take pride, the delight of your eyes, the object of your affection. The sons and daughters you left behind will fall by the sword and you will do as I have done. You will not cover the lower part of your face or eat the customary food of mourners. You will keep your turbans on your heads and your sandals on your feet. You will not mourn or weep, but waste away because of your sins and groan among yourselves. Ezekiel will be a sign to you. You will do just as he has done. When this happens, you will know that I am the sovereign Lord. And you, son of man, on the day I take away their strongholds, their joy and glory, the delight of their eyes, 
their heart's desire and their sons and daughters as well. On that day, a fugitive will come to tell you the news. At that time, your mouth will be opened. You will speak with him and will no longer be silent. So you will be assigned to them and they will know that I am the Lord. Father, thank you for your words again to us this morning. Father, would it be your voice that we hear? For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, more strong stuff uh, from Ezekiel to get our heads around this morning. Uh, but there's always hope. It's the thing, when there's always hope in these things, it's, it's sometimes a hard, a hard word to hear, but there's always hope. And there's, there's hope again this morning that we will get to. Uh, I'm not sure how, if you are uh, football fans or followers of football, uh, but uh, no, oh, oh, that's, that's encouraging. Everyone's shaking their heads. So anyway, I'm still going to go with it. So... Uh, so, so you know, normally the football match, it runs for, it runs for 90 minutes. Uh, but then at the end of 90 minutes, uh, you get added on extra time. And uh, in, the last, in the last little while, the, the amount of extra time has sort of expanded exponentially. Because you used to get a little bit of extra time for when, you know, people are falling over and pretending to be injured. So they can get a kind of free kick or a, or a penalty, which happens a lot more in the men's game than a women's game, I'd have to say. But, uh, but a couple of years ago, they introduced a thing called VAR, Video Assistant Referee, because uh, it used to be that, uh, you know, referees wouldn't see something and then there'd be all sorts of complaints. So now there are cameras all around the stadium and there's a video assistant referee, so everything's videoed. But sadly, the people watching the, you know, the, VR, the VAR, you know, it still has to have a human being and the human beings are as blind as the physical referees used to be. But anyway... During a, during a match, I spent a lot of time examining VAR. So it means the extra time can now be like seven, eight, nine minutes on the end of the 90. Now, if you're a mad football fan and your team is not doing very well, and if they're, if they're kind of losing by a goal, you still have hope, kind of up until the, you know, the 90 minutes, and the, it's kind of running down to the end of the 90 minutes, and you're thinking, well, there's still a chance. Things could still change. And then it gets to 90 minutes, and your, your heart sinks a bit, but then it comes up on the clock, there's like nine minutes of extra time. And, you th- and your hopes rise again, because you think, well, all is not lost. We've still got, you know, we've still got another few minutes. We could get a goal in. But at the end of that, there is a point where the final whistle blows. And once the final whistle blows, that's it. Game over. Whatever hasn't happened by the time that whistle is blown isn't going to happen. Now, as we've been going through Ezekiel... Basically, what's happening in Ezekiel and Jeremiah, another prophet, is speaking at about the same time. God is basically, it's just a constant stream of of warnings. He's warning his people and is saying to them, if you don't change your ways, at some point, judgment is going to fall. And you remember a few weeks ago, how we were learning about how endlessly patient God is with his people. Because from, almost from the word go... His people have been disobedient. Do you remember um, when they're first uh, on the journey from slavery in Egypt to freedom in the promised land and they're going through the, you know, they're going through the desert and pretty much on day one, they start grumbling because they haven't got anything to drink and they haven't got anything to eat. And so God says, well, you know, uh, Moses says, what am I going to do? They're all starving. I want to go back to Egypt. And God says, well, I'll provide food. I'll provide manna. Remember manna? 
what is it? It's, it's a sort of frosties, sort of, um, sort of sugary cornflake kind of thing. But um, so God says, I'll provide manna. Two really simple instructions with the manna. God says, for six days, I'll provide enough manna each day for that day. Don't keep any overnight because I'll provide enough for each day for those six days. Don't keep any overnight. What do they do? They start trying to keep some overnight because they're like, oh, what if we haven't got any tomorrow? And they get up the next day and it's full of worms. And then God says on the sixth day, he says, I'll give you enough for two days because the seventh day is a Sabbath when you're not supposed to work. So on the sixth day, you'll get a double portion and it will last two days. Don't go looking for any on the Sabbath because you won't find any. What do they do? They go looking for some on the Sabbath. It's like the simplest instructions and they're disobedient. And that sets the pattern for basically 400 years. And God sends prophet after prophet and messenger after messenger. And every time they get in a mess. So they've kind of, they've just kept being disobedient. And now the, remember Israel is split into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom with 10 tribes. The southern kingdom with two tribes. By the time of Ezekiel, the northern kingdom has been obliterated. They're all in exile. Most of the southern kingdom is in exile. Remember, Ezekiel is in exile in Babylon. Jerusalem still stands. So, so basically, they've, they've done the 90 minutes, and now they're in extra time. They're in exile, but they're like, we can still win. Because God will never abandon Jerusalem. It's his holy city. The temple will never fall. Well, now the final whistle has been blown. In the ninth year, in the tenth month, on the tenth day... The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, record this date, this very date, because the king of Babylon has laid siege to Jerusalem this very day. So basically God's, God's patience has been exhausted and now the final whistle has been blown and judgment is going to fall. And as it fell on Jerusalem in the time of Ezekiel, so we need to kind of learn the lesson as we've kind of referenced previously that, that in our lives... God is constantly sending warnings. He's constantly trying to draw us to himself. He's constantly, through the gospel, saying to the world, look, you are running out of time and you need to turn back. Uh, Remember, um, uh, the writer to the Hebrews, uh, I referenced this a few weeks ago, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. Just as man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment. The final whistle will be blown on all our lives. And when it's blown, there will be no more time. Then judgment will fall. But God is endlessly patient with us. Uh, Peter writes in his second letter um, uh, to Peter, chapter three, verse eight. Don't forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That's God's heart. Remember last week in uh, chapter 18, uh, we read God's heart. Do I take pleasure in the death of the wicked? Am I not pleased when they turn from their ways and live? Uh, I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the sovereign Lord. Repent and live. God is endlessly patient, but there is a point where the final whistle is blown and then it's too late. And that point has come for, uh, for God's people living in exile with Ezekiel. God says, today the king of Babylon has laid siege to Jerusalem. 
And then there's this, this kind of happy little ditty, uh, kind of cooking ditty in verses three to five. You know, put on the cooking pot, put it on, pour water into it. And it's a, it's a kind of, um, it's kind of a happy little song that you would sing as you were doing your, your, you know, your cooking. And it's like, I'm going to have a lovely meal. It's all going well. I put the lovely bits of meat in the cooking pot and, uh, you know, bring it to the boil. And so as Ezekiel is saying this, uh, the people, you know, the people who are listening are probably thinking, oh, this is quite nice. Uh, and then it gets to verse six. Uh, Woe to the city of bloodshed, to the pot now encrusted, whose deposit will not go away. Empty it piece by piece without casting lots for them. Uh, for the blood she shed is in her midst. Uh, do you remember when we first started this series a few weeks ago? Uh, the exiles have this false hope. And their false hope is that God, whatever happens, God won't abandon Jerusalem. Jerusalem will not fall because God has said that's going to be the permanent place of his residence. The temple has been built in Jerusalem. It has the Holy of Holies, the place where God's presence dwells. And God has said in the Psalms it will be his, his dwelling place forever, for eternity. So the people in exile with Ezekiel have this false hope that... It doesn't matter what they do, God won't abandon Jerusalem. And they're about to get a huge shock because the sovereign Lord says, actually, the the pot is so corrupt. Jerusalem is so corrupt. The people still living there. The temple worship has become so corrupt. Remember a few weeks ago, Ezekiel has that vision where he, you know, God kind of pulls back the curtain of what's actually going on in the temple. And there's idol worship in the temple. Their, their relationship is, uh, with God has been utterly corrupted and the final whistle has been blown. And God says, you know, that idolatry has been so public. The blood she shed is in her midst. She poured it on the bare rock. Uh, the, the, the significance of that, when you know your, as I'm sure you have studied in great detail, your Leviticus law codes, there's, uh, God says a lot about what to do with blood because the life, our life is in the blood. The life of animals is in their blood. And so there's very, uh, very detailed legislation in God's word about what to do with blood. And one of the things you do with blood is when it's spilt, you cover it up. Uh, Leviticus chapter 17, verse 13, which I'm sure you have at your fingertips. Uh, he says, any Israelite or any alien living among you who hunts any animal or bird that may be eaten must drain out the blood and cover it with earth because the life of every creature is its blood. So you have to be very careful with what you do with blood in the Old Testament law codes. And God is saying to the people, he's saying, you, you just you haven't done that. You haven't you've been careless and the things that you've done have been shameful. If you, um, you know, maybe this evening, if you know, have a stiff drink and read chapter 23. Uh, because, you know, Israel's adultery and idolatry is graphically, graphically laid bare. And it's, and it's just, it's awful. It's just, it's awful. The corruption that is there is just so awful. And God is saying to them, you know, time's up. You know, I've told you so many times to put your house in order to come back to me. And, you, and, and now it's too late. And so God says, verse eight, to stir up wrath and take revenge. I put her blood on the bare rock so that it would not be covered. He's now, you know, you've, you've sinned very publicly. And now your, your judgment is going to be 
very public. And then verse 9, it continues, Woe to the city of bloodshed, I too will pile the wood high. And, uh, and this is no longer, you know, for hundreds of years, God has been calling his people to turn back so that they can be purified. And what God's saying now is it's, it's, it's basically too late. It's too late. The pot, to use that analogy, the cooking pot is so dirty and so corrupted, it cannot be cleaned. It needs to be melted down and remade. And uh, you see that in uh, uh, chapter 22, verses 17. We kind of get, uh, the Lord says, uh, again, it's in similar vein, but this is what the Lord says in chapter 22. If you just flick back a couple of chapters to verse 17. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, the house of Israel has become dross to me. All of them are the copper, tin, iron and lead left inside a furnace. They are but the dross of silver. Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Because you have all become dross, I will gather you into Jerusalem. As men gather silver, copper, iron, lead and tin into a furnace to melt it with a fiery blast. So will I gather you in my anger and my wrath and put you inside the city and melt you. I will gather you and I will blow on you with my fiery wrath and you will be melted inside her. As silver is melted in a furnace, so you will be melted inside her and you will know that I, the Lord, have poured out my wrath upon you. So the Lord's saying, look, it's, it's basically it's too late. Time is up. This is no longer a process of refinement. This is a process of melting you down and basically starting again. Uh, the Lord says, verse 14, the time has come for me, uh, chapter 24, the time has come for me to act. I will not hold back. I will not have pity, nor will I relent. You will be judged according to your conduct and your actions, declares the sovereign Lord. You know, this is not good news, is it? This is not good news. This is not good news for the exiles who've had this sort of false hope. And again, we need to remember, you know, God is not being, he's not being cruel He's not being vindictive. Uh, he's not sort of suddenly flown off the handle in a rage. He's just, he's, he's being obedient to the covenant that he entered into with his people. So important when we read these things in the Old Testament, which seems so, you know, so um, cruel and so judgmental to realise God is just doing what he said he was going to do. You know, it's not a surprise. If you go back to um, Exodus chapter 24... Uh, where we read about the covenant between um, God and his people being confirmed. And uh, let me just read a couple of verses from Exodus 24, verse 3. Moses went and told the people, this is after Moses has been given the Ten Commandments. Uh, Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws. They responded with one voice, everything the Lord has said, we will do. Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. Verse seven, then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. They responded, we will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. Moses then took the blood, sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. So that's the covenant relationship. And remember, again, a few weeks ago, I read a bit, you know, the covenant is set up and God says, if you obey me, then you will be blessed. If you disobey me, you will be cursed. And, uh, and, he, and he describes what the blessing will look like and what the curses will look like. And he says, that's the covenant. 
And they've, you know, they've blown it. They've, they've been idolatrous. So, so when judgment falls, the Lord is, he's, he's just being obedient to the covenant that they entered into. And they said, we will do this. They spoke with one voice. We will obey. And they haven't. And suddenly disaster falls. And then there's this huge tragedy for Ezekiel. Uh, you know, Ezekiel's wife dies. Uh, Verse 18, I spoke to the people in the morning and in the evening, my wife died suddenly out of the blue. And the Lord says to him, I don't you're not to grieve in the normal way. That's the whole thing about wearing the turban and wearing the sandals. You you know, you you put on your turban and turban and sandals when you are happy and when you're kind of rejoicing. If you're mourning, you don't wear those things. But the Lord says to Ezekiel, you, you know, your wife is going to die and you're, you're not to grieve in the normal way. And the people say, was verse 19, they say, what, what's this got to do with us? Won't you tell us what these things have to do with us? And basically Ezekiel is saying to them, today Jerusalem will fall. Where you've had this false hope that Jerusalem would never fall, that God would never abandon Jerusalem Today, that is going to happen. Verse 21, I'm about to desecrate my sanctuary. I mean, this is, imagine if you've, you've kind of got in your mind that this thing is never going to happen. In your mind, you're thinking God is never going to abandon Jerusalem. Whatever happens, Jerusalem will stand and we will get through this. We will get through this exile. We will get through this because Jerusalem will never fall. All your hopes are in Jerusalem And now, on this day, it's fallen. It's been laid siege to. It's going to be flattened. All your hope has been, and suddenly it's it's gone. I'm about to desecrate my sanctuary, the stronghold in which you take pride, the delight of your eyes, the object of your affection. The sons and daughters you left behind will fall by the sword. Uh, But you're not to mourn. You're not to mourn. Uh, You will not mourn or weep, but waste away because of your sins and groan among yourselves. This is disaster. It's complete disaster. Uh, Time has run out. Judgment has fallen. But but there's still there's still hope. And doesn't this all doesn't this all sound very familiar? Does it all sound very familiar? This idea that all our hopes rest in this particular this particular thing, and now it's gone. You think about the Easter story, you think about Palm Sunday, you think about Jesus' disciples riding into Jerusalem with him. And, and, and uh, on that Palm Sunday, what, you know, what's going on there? This is where all our hope, all our hope is in Jesus. All our hope is in this man. This is, the, this is God's son. This is the Messiah. This is the one who's going to save us. This is the one who's going to rescue us. Whatever else is happening, we are going to be okay because Jesus has come as our saviour and our rescuer. He's the Messiah. Whatever else may happen around us, we have the Messiah. And then suddenly on Good Friday, he's gone. Uh, He's dead. And the disciples, all their hopes are utterly shattered. And they're they're in fear and they're in panic and they're in, suddenly the light has gone out. The hope has been removed. Remember the end of Luke's gospel on that first Easter Sunday and those two disciples walking away from Jerusalem and and 
they don't realise it's Jesus, but Jesus comes up and walks alongside them and they kind of have that conversation. And what is it that they say to him? Because he's pretending not to know what's going on. Uh, and, and they say, um, uh, well, Jesus of Nazareth, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. We had hoped he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Suddenly all their hopes have been shattered. And that's what's going on for these people in exile with, with Ezekiel. And remember, uh, Ezekiel is in exile. He's hundreds of miles away from Jerusalem. So it will take some, you know, it'll take some weeks for news to arrive that this has actually happened. But Ezekiel is saying, today, Jerusalem has fallen. And then several weeks later, someone arrives and says, Jerusalem has fallen. And then they realise that Ezekiel is speaking God's words because Ezekiel told them on the day that it happened that Jerusalem was going to fall. And it's happened. And it's, a, and it's a disaster. But right at the end of 24, at that time, the Lord says to Ezekiel, at that time, your mouth will be opened. Uh, you will speak with him and will no longer be silent. So you will be assigned to them and they will know that I am the Lord. They will know that I am the Lord. So this, this judgment falls and the place where they've had their hope, it's, it's destroyed. You know, it's the final whistle has blown. And yet there is, there is a hope. Ezekiel is the sign. And as we go on into the rest of Ezekiel, we discover more and more what that, you know, what that hope is. But it's the point at which kind of reformation for God's people has become impossible. And God's saying, basically, I'm going to have to melt you down and start again. I'm going to have to melt you down and start again. And, and that's where we'll get to eventually with Ezekiel and Essentially, that's what the gospel is. The gospel is that we can't, we can't reform ourselves. We can't improve ourselves. Uh, we can't um, uh, you know, live such a good life that God will be impressed with what we bring to offer. There has to be a, you know, a, a melting down and a rebirth and a renewal. And that's what Jesus does on the cross. So on the cross, Jesus cries out his Father, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It feels like, an, you know, that darkness has fallen. It feels like an utter defeat. It feels like all hope has gone. But it's in that moment that there is the seed of redemption and the seed of renewal. Even as Jerusalem is flattened, the seeds of renewal and redemption have been planted. And for us, as we, you know, as we come before the Lord and we recognise our you know, our sin and our depravity and the fact that we have nothing to offer him. Even in there, there are the seeds of hope because Jesus died on the cross. But he rose again. And there's the hope and there's the redemption. And the thing that the, the people of God have to, have to learn is that uh, God must be the focus of, of who they are and God must be the focus of their worship. And God is jealous for his name and there's no room for anybody else in our worship and that's what we have to do as we as we come to the Lord we have to stop worshipping ourselves and putting ourselves first and put him first and come in humility so it's very appropriate that even as we sort of take this break from Ezekiel 
we're entering into a season of Lent, which is about self-examination. And, and I, just, I, just seem to, I just have a sense of, um, you know, I, I, sort of, I, I planned the sermon series um, uh, in the autumn, well, before Christmas. <laughs> wasn't that long before Christmas but I planned it a little while ago but I've always sort of you know I was praying about well what should we um, you know what should we you know where, where should we be going with with Lent because I'm a you know I'm an old Anglican so Lent is still a it's in my blood to do something in Lent and I was praying well you know what should we be focusing on in Lent and I just really had a sense of it should it really should be a season of of just coming before the Lord in repentance, and uh, and uh, I, I just have a sense that that's what we need to do more than anything is is come before the Lord in repentance and humility, and just lay lay ourselves down and lay down our our, our pride and our plans and our ambition, and just come before Him and say, Lord. Lord, we're, we're nothing without you. Lord, we're sorry. We've fallen short of your glory. Have mercy. Lord, have mercy.